Hi guys, it's me, Ty Pool, and I'm back, and I have way more questions. Things like, what are animals saying to each other? Why is space so dark? What's the science behind bullying? This season, I'm willing to go where no 7th grader has ever gone before to find you the answers. Ty asks why. Rest your eyes and prepare your ears for all new episodes of Ty Asks Why. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to White Coat Black Art, the show about medicine from all sides of the gurney. Hi, my name is Amy Demiers, and I'm... I'm going to read the Portage Philosophy, which is what we read every morning at the morning meeting. And, uh, On a sofa in her apartment so in Kingston, Amy Demers grips the pages of a daily devotion. So it says, I have come here in search of myself, confused and afraid. I have led my, led my life in the shadow of drugs. I have rejected all who cared for me. With a 33-year-old woman, it's a spiritual call to arms and a tangible reminder of her determination to stay in recovery from addiction to fentanyl and crystal meth. The strengths, love, and dreams that now live within me have become beacons for my life. From here, I will go forth, whole once more, self-aware, confident, and assured, never to live in the shadows again. Amy picked up this daily ritual 20 months ago at a program in Montreal that she says changed both her life and that of her children. It's called Portage, and it's a residential drug addiction program unlike most others. That's because it's not just mothers who enter treatment. Portage's mother and child program allows mothers to bring their young children with them. The program's executive director, Dr. Peter Vamos, has been treating mothers with drug addiction for decades. We have uh, started treating uh, addicts in 1973 and almost immediately we recognized uh, that woman who had small children and who came into treatment really struggled and often avoided uh, staying in treatment because of having to place their children. Also, we became aware that a lot of women who needed treatment didn't access treatment because of the risk of coming forward and the risk of losing their children. Women just like Amy. Um, I'm the single mother of two children, ages 13 and 5. I am a recovering addict with just about a year and a half clean. And uh, just trying to find what I enjoy doing with my life right now and where it's headed. Amy told me about growing up in a small town just west of Kingston with her five sisters and four brothers. She experienced trauma as a child, and by 13, she was using alcohol and cannabis. Um, I started as a teenager, probably at a party, and from the first time, I just knew it just felt like this was it for me. Like I had just arrived in my life, and it was great. I just felt some type of escape or happiness that I felt I was missing somehow. What drugs did you try next? After pot and alcohol, a few years later, it was cocaine and ecstasy. At age 19, you got pregnant. Yes. I, I had my daughter um, when I was 19. She, it was everything I ever wanted. Becoming a mother was my best dream. It was, it was incredible. Things changed a lot. I moved to Kingston and got a job. I was happy. Things were pretty good. I was with her father. I was working. 
things were really good until about a year and a half later when I had a surgery, gallbladder surgery, and I started taking painkillers and very, very, very quickly became addicted. The more and more I took, the heavier the painkiller I was prescribed. To begin with, it was Percocet, Tylenol 3s, and then Oxycontin, and then fentanyl. What was it like trying to manage your opioid use while being a mother to two young kids? Awful. I was angry. I was sick. I was not myself. I could not focus on my kids and be the mother I wanted to be at all. And when you use the term sick, you mean withdrawal symptoms? Yes, absolutely. What, what did that feel like to you? It was like living in hell, to be honest. I was just like a shell of myself. I was yelling, being so angry at everybody else when it was me who kept like bringing the cycle on. It was, it was awful. So I, I tried to end my life more than once. In 2016, you started using methamphetamines. How did that happen? I remember that day feeling particularly angry at where my life was. I ended up drinking that night. I ended up calling a friend over, and she had methamphetamines with her. But after that, all day, every day, it, it, I didn't stop. And you were still looking after your kids at that time? Yes. That must have been hard. <laughs> I Oh, boy. It was extremely difficult. I would go in the bathroom. I would try to be in different rooms. And I kept telling my kids, five minutes, five minutes. Mommy's going to be there. Just give me five minutes. It was, five minutes was always five hours. It was awful. You got pregnant a third time. What was different about having a baby the third time? My addiction had taken off in every way. I didn't consider myself the stereotypical addict. And at this point, I really did. I knew I wasn't capable of raising three children on my own and trying to fight this addiction and and not become a bitter person who just gave up. You know the name of the baby. Who gave who gave the baby its name? I both the adopted parents and myself. My I gave him his middle name and they gave him his first name. Mm-hmm. And you get to see him. Yes, it's an open adoption. How difficult was it to give him up? Oh boy. Uh, oh gosh I just actually today was reading over books um, that I wrote in and the pain was awful I think I wanted to die every single day for the first year I used very heavily after that pregnancy just to try not to think about him you overdosed I tried to and I succeeded but the person I was with gave me Narcan or Naloxone I was certain that I was just bound to die in addiction. I didn't think I was capable of being a mother. I kept failing my children, myself, my family, everybody around me. I I just thought life was completely hopeless. You had been through uh, drug rehab programs before up until that point in time. Can you tell me a little bit about those experiences? I would stay clean there and I could stay clean for a little bits of time, but it would never sustain because I, when I got my kids back or when they were with me, I just, I'd be too overwhelmed. I had no idea how to be a mother, a human being, and clean. But Amy had an ally in her efforts to get off drugs and learn how to be a parent, Dr. Adam Newman. You've treated lots of women like Amy. Um, in, in various kinds of programs. Have you see, ever seen a result that's comparable to what you saw when Amy came back from Portage? No, this, this was like seeing a, a living miracle. Um, it really convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, having heard about Newman is a family doc who specializes in pregnant women and mothers with addiction like Amy. 
Last month on the show, we told you about how he brought the Rooming In program to Kingston General Hospital. The program allows mums with opioid addiction to bond and care for their babies for several days in hospital, instead of whisking the infants off to intensive care to be monitored for withdrawal. They've had remarkable results. But that's for newborns, not mums like Amy, whose son Tristan is five and whose daughter Taya is 13. Dr. Adam Newman had heard about Portage and was intrigued. Having heard about Portage, we all, those of us who were involved in setting up Rooming in, because we operating on the principle that, oh, a baby probably would be better with its mother. Let's keep the baby together with its mother. And, hmm, is that true for older children? Well, probably. In most cases, wouldn't it be nice if there was a way of doing that? And we heard, oh, Portage is a place that does that. Well, then we went to see it and we saw women walking around and engaged in the program and busy and and. And we thought, oh, this looks really quite promising and amazing. Dr. Newman ended up referring two women to the program. The first one dropped out. The second was Amy. In my mind, when he said it, I said the words yes. And then in my head, I was like, there's no way. I even remember going to the local detox in Kingston here and saying to them, I want to try this, but I really don't think this is a good idea. I don't, how Who's going to take care of him when I am on the floor crying or falling apart? It's not going to work. For months, even after getting there, I would tell people I'm incredibly selfish. I didn't want to have to be responsible for anything else, just me. That's all I thought I could manage. That's all I thought I was capable of until I got there. Was this your last hope? Is that, is that how you saw it? Oh, absolutely. If this didn't work, I was fully prepared to hand my kids over and, I hate to say this, but die a junkie. That's, that was it. Amy walked through the doors on February 28, 2018, and stayed for just over seven months. But that was just the beginning, says Dr. Peter Vamos. Well, our program cycle is two years long. We tend to uh, keep people for six months, more or less, in residential treatment. Then they go into a reentry cycle. And during that reentry cycle, not only do they continue to get outpatient support and counseling, uh, there is also housing assistance. We have drug-free supervised housing that are subsidized, and uh, they get a lot of uh, emotional support in terms of adjusting to the workforce, and particularly in terms of advocating for their children in a system that's not always welcoming or friendly to them. Tristan came 15 days after I arrived. Was there anything different about those first 15 days compared to the other uh, rehab programs that you've been to? Everything. The programs I'd done in the past, everybody is just new. As were this program, they had a mentor with me, someone who's been there for a few months, really guiding you, holding your hand, showing you what's what. You're not So you're not lost and scared. And they're just there to really comfort you. Then Tristan arrived. Mm. Do you remember that day? Oh, 110% I do. It was awful. Awful? <laughs> yes. It was horrible. I did not know what to do with myself. Tristan came and he did not want to eat supper. He didn't want to sit down. It didn't. And I thought in that day, this isn't going to work. I'm giving up already. <laughs> so thank God I had a mentor and I had people and the staff and everybody. But I really, really was convinced even for a couple of weeks that it was like, I, this isn't. I can't do this. Now it's amazing. I've now realized there's no way that I would still be clean today 
if I didn't have him there with me. We went through our hardest times ever in that place, like together. We worked through it together. I helped him get through his fear. He helped me. And because of that, our bond is stronger. And I didn't have to come out of treatment and then think, oh my gosh, now I have to figure out how to raise kids. I always knew how to you know, take care of my own needs, but never theirs on a level where I was continuously clean and emotionally well. That has been like the biggest turning point in all of this. Like, it's huge. Amy reached that milestone because she was able to overcome the shame she felt over using drugs and the fear that her children would be taken away by child welfare authorities if she sought help. Dr. Vamos says that's a common scenario. The women feel judged. They feel labeled. They find it difficult sometimes to come forward. Pediatricians, likewise, represent a threat to them. Are you saying that they might not go see a physician or a teacher or a social worker uh, because of the sh- because they're they're ashamed or because of of feeling inadequate? Well, there is shame. There is feeling of inadequacy, and not always misplaced uh, fear of uh, losing custody of the child. The w- the women and children who end up in our care typically are very close to having their child removed. They see this often. As a, as a last chance opportunity to maintain custody of the child. So what do you do to change uh, how, how she sees herself? Well, a lot has to do with self-esteem. We work very hard. We are a positive psychology-based organization. We spend a great deal of time uh, both in our treatment program and in, in our parenting program in helping the mother become self-reliant, and feel confident about her abilities to do the right thing for herself and for her child. How would you and Tristan spend a typical day? Uh, We would get up in the morning. We wake up calls, I think, 6 o'clock. You go to get breakfast together. You make sure your rooms, our, our room was completely clean. They call it tight, kind of military style, which is great. Dusted, beds made. After that, we would drop the kids off at daycare for 8 o'clock in the morning. We would come back and we would do programming, so morning meetings in which we talk about the things we wanted to work on, anything we felt like we did wrong, which we would call like unburdening and um, things we're proud of. It's not like a bunch of staff taking care of us. We had to do everything. We had jobs. We had responsibilities. And it really taught us to be accountable and, and help others. So we would pick the kids up at 4 o'clock from daycare, spend a little bit of time with them, ask them about their day, and then supper time was at 5. So after supper time, we would have mother-child time, and then we'd give them their baths and put them to bed. And after we would put the kids to bed, we would work in our workbooks, so lots of questions about the day, things we wanted to work on, and then we would have a night meeting at 8.30. How well did Tristan adjust to being there? really well. I think it was actually harder for me. I know for me, I was parenting a lot out of guilt. So feeling guilty for all the things I'd done to my children or like for abandoning them for drugs. And so I just, I wanted to give them everything. If my son didn't want to eat his supper um, and he wouldn't even try it, I remember times I just wanted to like let him have toast. I would ask staff and they said, no, he didn't even try the supper. There were certain rules that they have because then other kids are just going to, nobody's going to eat anything. It's just going to be a free for all. And I was very emotional about it. And honestly, Tristan was fine. So that was lesson number one. You don't parent by guilt. What did they teach you how to parent? Did you, did you learn? What did you learn? 
not buying peace was one of the big things they talked to me about. We'd go on day trips on Saturday. Typically, I was always buying him toys just to make him be quiet before. And I can't because I only have this much money. And trust me, in my heart for the first little while, I really wanted to just give in. Every day I was taking him for something just to make him happy, which is not real. It's not real happiness. But there we learn how to be happy in a completely different way. So instead of going out and buying him things for like a half hour, we spent those half hours together playing, talking and cuddling. And and it's a different type of smile and a different type of bond. And it's beautiful. Hey, it's Anna Maria Tremonti, and I'm excited to tell you about my new podcast. It's called More. And I'll be talking to people you may think you already know until you hear them here. We've got a little more time to explore and to probe and even to play a little. So get ready for the likes of David Suzuki, Catherine O'Hara, Margaret Atwood, and many others. You can find more with Anna Maria Tremonti wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, the addiction treatment program in Quebec that makes room for mothers and their children. The nonprofit program is funded through a partnership between the government and private donors. Portage's executive director, Dr. Peter Vamos, told me it costs about $300 a day per mother and child. Money, he says, is well spent because it breaks a cycle that could cost society much more in the long run. After seven months in the program, Amy Demers stopped using fentanyl and crystal meth and learned how to become an effective parent all at once. What do you think the turning point was for you in the whole process of of adjusting to being there and getting the most out of it? So I'll tell you, I just, I hated it until I didn't. Um, So Portage has a list of these 21 competencies. Things that are so basic for most people, like um, being responsible, being accountable, empathetic, and, and I could go on. And I looked at this list and I thought, man, this is like my sister, Tana, to a T. I've always looked up to her and respected her and wanted to be close to her, but we could never get there, ever. It was so simple. That list just was like, I'm just going to stay here and see how many of these I can work on. That's it. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, I want to be here. When Amy graduated from the program on October 4th, 2018, Dr. Adam Newman, the GP who referred her, was there to see it. I've known Amy for years, and I saw her the way she was before she went, and I visited her when she was there, and I went to see her graduation from Portage, and uh, nothing I've ever seen is, is like that. It is remarkable. It is so completely quantitatively and and qualitatively different from any other treatment program. I even hesitate to call it a treatment program because it has really unfortunately given me quite a bit of disdain for the 28-day program or the 35-day program. I realize that's really just a Band-Aid. It gives people a start. It helps people clean up, but it doesn't do any of the healing that Amy was able to accomplish at Portage. Healing. Healing. She she learned to be a member of a community there. She lived there. She was part of a group of 24 other women with varied experiences, but all who knew what it was like to be ashamed and guilty and judged and traumatized. And they all held each other up and they talked each other through and they healed each other. And it is it's a, it was one of the most beautiful and, and um, inspiring experiences I've ever had seeing that graduation. It was amazing. Um, My daughter came as well. 
and actually said a few things to me. She came up to the front and it was an amazing feeling. It was something I didn't think would ever happen. I watched other The graduation was also a moment of triumph for Amy. But the hardest part is what comes after when Amy returned to Kingston along with her son Tristan. Um I had considered staying in Montreal at the time. I didn't know if I could stay clean in my hometown, but I'm really glad I did come back and show myself that circumstances have nothing to do like with me staying clean. Did you have special work that you had to do uh, that came out of Portage when you came back to Kingston? So, I mean, we have an aftercare plan and actually it's very thorough and very specific. I write what my goals are, my budget, you know, was I going to enroll in school, work and things like that. Ending old friendships that were no longer working, um, cutting ties with people, making sure there was no more drugs in my apartment, which a couple weeks after I got home, I found drugs in my winter coat pocket. And that was the only time since I've been back that I've had any cravings. What'd you do with them? I flushed them immediately. I accidentally knocked a kid into the wall just to like get through to get to my bathroom. And I was like, just go, go. They need to get rid of it right now. I was terrified. And then I felt sick to my stomach. That was intense. Portage has also given Amy a support system for dealing with unexpected crises. You and your kids uh, had an emotional setback recently. Is that something you can talk about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, their father passed away on June 28th. I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. He had a heart attack, and he was in- incredibly healthy while appearing seemingly healthy up until then. He's an amazing person. He's my best friend in the world. How are you coping? Day by day, one day at a time, um, I have, you know, this very small group of very close friends, also my sister. Actually, the day it happened, one of the first things I did was call Portage. And as something I could never see myself doing in the past, you know, when I left the 21-day centers, they said, you have our number, call us if anything ever happens. I never called again. But Portage, it was like the first thing I need to call and talk to somebody. And I, I called them actually now over the last month more than ever. There's always an open bed pretty much if I want to go there with my son. Um, If I'm going today to go to visit, um, they've got a bed waiting for me just to go and check in and say hi and and figure out my goals moving forward and what I want to do. They're incredible. Amy ended up spending three days back at Portage before returning to Kingston. Peter Vamos, the executive director, says more than half the women who enter the program do well in the long run. We have some mothers who were early graduates of our program who are now working in our program. One of the most touching things for me is seeing a mother finding the confidence to take their child and to set up a home and to decide that they and the child are a family. The child isn't some something of an add-on. The child isn't something of a burden, but the child becomes an essential part of the mother. The examples that I can give you uh, cross socioeconomic lines. I mentioned at the outset that most of the women we treat are women who come from very disadvantaged backgrounds. But we have also treated some very privileged people with similar concerns. And in each and every case, what is most remarkable when seeing a mother graduate from our program and hug their child is that they are now a family unit. So to single out one, I would be singling out hundreds that we have treated. 
But uh, it is that moment when you, when the mother realizes, and everyone watching them realizes, and the child realizes that hey, we are a family, we are together, and drugs are no longer going to be a part of this equation. Back in Kingston, Amy is getting back to work. Tristan is doing well in senior kindergarten. As the family works through the loss of their dad, Amy continues to rely on what she learned at Portage. In the past, anytime anything would happen, it was a fight to not use. It was like the struggle. And this time in my recovery or this time in my life, it's just like using sounds like the worst idea. I think of all the pain. Like my life was absolutely awful when I was using and I, I had hit my rock bottom and I don't ever want to go back there. I honestly wish that everybody had a chance to go to a place like Portage. It saved my life. It changed the way I dealt with feelings because feelings are everything. Every feeling, every emotion I've had was like this trigger before in my life where now um, I let them be what they are. It doesn't have to be this big catastrophic thing or the be all end all. Today I can tell you I'm exactly what my kids need like since their dad passed, I'm here for them. I am emotionally present. I'm making sure their needs are met more than anything um, so that they can get through this okay and, and we're closer because of it. Portage saved my life, my kids' lives. I feel incredibly lucky, incredibly blessed to have gone. I love what it gave me, a life worth living. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you very much. That's our show for this week. If you've got something to say about this week's program, write to us at cbc.ca slash whitecoat. Our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. I'm on Twitter at NightShiftMD, and the show is at CBC Whitecoat. We're also on Facebook. If you've missed any of the show, you can subscribe to our podcast at subscriptions.cbc.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to listen live or on demand, make sure you download the CBC Listen app. And if you're looking for the latest in health news and analysis, subscribe to Second Opinion, the weekly newsletter from CBC's Health Unit at subscriptions.cbc.ca. Coming up next week, the spread of teen vaping. We'll hear from a Halifax teenager who found herself addicted to huge doses of nicotine. And now she's warning her friends about the consequences. I used my vape like I usually do, and... I felt really dizzy and then I fell on the floor. I woke up and I didn't like snap out of it right away. I fell straight on my face so my nose is fractured and my tooth was chipped and my lip was cut open from my tooth. It was terrifying, probably the worst moment of my life. That's next week on White Coat Black Art. This week's show was produced by our senior producer Donna Dingwall with help from Jeff Goods, Sujata Berry, digital producer Ruby Buiza, and the rest of our digital team. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.